Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, December 31st. Today we are reading in the big book on page 4 uh, in Bill's story, the second full paragraph beginning, Next morning I telephoned a friend. Today's readers are um, Janice M. on the 12 Steps, Melanie on the 12 Traditions, and readers in Bill's story are Paula, Marjorie, Marita, and Du. The reference number for yesterday, December 30th, is 5674. OA Preamble. OA Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. And thank you, Kathy. Um, Yes, my name is Janice. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, The 12 steps. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our life, our will, and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Pass. Thank you, Janice M. I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 traditions. Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Kathy. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that, there sh- that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we begin, we resume our study of the big book on page four, the second paragraph that begins, next morning I telephoned a friend. Um, And I will ask Paula to begin reading. Thank you, and thank you for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsible Reader. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon, returning from Elba, 
No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. Well, here we have, in one paragraph, a huge undertaking by Bill. By Bill, he would travel anywhere, go any place. Because see, he was chasing him all the time. So he decided the geographic cure. Ah, I'll phone a friend in Canada. And off he went. And off he went. Sometimes we change our location geographically, sometimes physically, in many, many different ways. But we always seem to land at the same place. And this is what Bill did. By the following spring, oh, we know the ups and downs. We were living in our accustomed style. We know Bill had quite the accustomed style. And he says here so clearly, you know, I felt like Napoleon. Now, that's quite a identifying thing. I felt like Napoleon. Well, how did Napoleon? Napoleon was a very short man in stature, but he was huge in ego. He was huge in ego. No St. Helena for me. Oh, no. But look at the way the next line says. And he puts an exclamation point there. But drinking caught up with me again. It always does. And again. And my generous friend had to let me go. Now look at what he says about his friend. Generous friend. I don't think it was with a lot of reluctance. I don't think it was with a, oh, gee, sorry, Bill. No. It was sorry, Bill. This time... This time we stayed broke. So here we have quite a paragraph of running and hiding and seeking, but not finding. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Lauren. Katie G. from Boston. Okay. I heard, this I heard is Katie. Paula. Lauren. I heard Lauren and then Katie G and then the other. Okay, Lauren, go ahead. Thank you. Hi, this is Lauren S, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was told for this paragraph to write where it says, I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba to write, I felt freedom now. And also, um, Napoleon was the emperor of France between 1804 to 1814. He was exiled to the Italian island Elba, and he escaped the island in 1850, 1815. So I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. He felt like he was, he was escaping exile. And the next line, though, St. Helena, for me, I, I was told to write, I won't lose control again. Also, afterwards, Napoleon was imprisoned again after a brief reign in 1815 on uh, St. Helena, a British island off west coast of Africa. He died there from cancer in 1821. So no St. Helena for me. Uh, you know, you won't be, for me, that just means I won't be imprisoned again. Um after escaping freedom and that's a that's a brilliant metaphor for being trapped in the disease of addiction you know i feel uh i felt
for those brief stints I was able to be abstinent, I felt a freedom from that craving. But then because I had the mental obsession from just being abstinent, I was still being brought back into that cycle of being imprisoned by the food, that terrible, terrible cycle. So um, in in a very, very hopeful stint, this disease is only seemingly hopeless, and that cycle can be broken by um, succumbing to a greater power to remove that obsession. But until then, in this story, we're not there yet. We're simply where Bill is still caught in the cycle of um, imprisonment. Uh, thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Um, Katie G. Good morning, everyone. Kathy, thank you for your service. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And where are we? So we're in Bill's story. We're on page four. We're looking at the progression of his disease, right? And the point of this part of Bill's story is do we identify and have we related to with our food, with our eating behaviors, have we related to this kind of behavior? And for me, um, you know, my sponsor, uh, when we read this part of the book, she said, you know, I, I was just looking for ways to catch up again. You know, this is my, this is me exerting my willpower over the disease. And um, what I think that, you know, what really struck me during the reading this morning is just that um, the ism of our disease is not external, right? It's inside of me. And so for me, um, I, um, in college, decided that, um, you know, I was going to do a catch-up and I was going to go to um, Malawi, Africa, and I was going to um, do some AIDS relief work, yeah, but I was going to get thin and, you know, I was going to get over this relationship I was in and probably meet someone and fall in love and, like, all these grandiose ideas that were outside of myself, right, all of these external solutions for an internal problem. I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And so, of course, for me, eating caught up with me again. You know, eating is always going to catch up with me again because it's not outside of myself. It's in me. You know, the food is outside of me. The problem is not the piece of cake. The problem is what I want to do with that piece of cake, and I, I can't just let it sit there on the table you know, and that I want to shove it into my body. And once I shove it into my body, I can't stop. I'm going to push through my entire family to continue eating. And the problem is I can't stop myself from starting again, from eating again. And so there's no, for me, um, you know, I went to Malawi, Africa, and I put on weight. I found myself drinking. I found myself eating. I found myself writing obsessive love letters to to somebody who was um, an unrequited love, looking for people to fix me, right? And I came back more broken than ever, you know, because eating, the disease of compulsive overeating is inside of me. And no human power and no external solution will ever fix me. The amazing part of this story is by identifying in and by being devastated by my disease of compulsive overeating, I was able to and willing and desperate to go after these steps like a life raft because that's what they are. They are my life raft. They are my medication. And by, 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 by clearing out the wreckage of my past and getting to steps 10, 11, and 12, you know, I had God enter into me 
and he, a day at a time, bring, has led me to being a recovered woman of honor, dignity, and grace if I choose to stay active in this program a day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Katie. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. And, um, you know, as has been said, I mean, he thought that his problem was that he lost all his money. So if he went somewhere where he could get his money back, then everything would be fine. And, of course, I did the same thing. I thought that if I followed after my heart's desire, if I did the things I wanted to do, um, then... I would not have to eat. I thought that I ate because of how I had been treated by other people. I thought that I ate because um, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And so if I can stop being restless, irritable, and discontent by changing my circumstances, then, um, you know, I would not overeat. And, of course, (laughs) I didn't understand that I was restless, irritable, and discontent because that was who I was. That was my uh, way of living when I was um, compulsively overeating or debating compulsively overeating and not in recovery and not seeking God's direction for my life. So it wasn't until I said, you know, I have to keep the food down no matter what is going on around me. On a good day, on a bad day, on a rainy day, on a uh, irritating day, and all of those things happen even in recovery. Recovery is not a destination. It's a journey. And each day that I uh, pick up this spiritual toolkit and pick up uh, this life that I've been given, I am guaranteed one more day of recovery. And you know, I always thought that once I got thin and um, had, you know, gone through the steps that I would be um, happy, joyous, and free and I wouldn't have to keep working so hard. Um, and it's not, it's not like it feels hard every day, but it is not over. It is not that I have arrived and suddenly I don't get irritated by traffic and suddenly I don't get, you know, upset when I'm slighted by someone and suddenly I um, don't care that my favorite food got or, you know, what I had planned for the next day got eaten by someone or, uh, you know, whatever can happen in life. I am still a human being with emotions and reactions and it is not to the level that it was in disease. But, you know, I don't look for geographic cures today. I don't look for the easier, softer way. And that's what Bill was looking for. He was looking for things to just be easier, go to Canada, get some money, then I'll be fine. Well, guess what? He wasn't. And neither would I be if I left my big book and my uh, prayer closet in Virginia. So uh, we have to just keep watching this and see what he's going to do. And it's a radical change, a radical change in his thinking. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? 
Okay, here, Bella, and someone else came in after Bella. Varied. Harrod? Varied. Harrod, okay. Okay, Bella and then Carrot. Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I am looking at this paragraph, and it's very interesting that there is no word for any kind of a feeling. When he feels happy or proud of himself, he doesn't say any word, but it say, he says, I felt like Napoleon. Now, you have to understand what means to feel like Napoleon. And, but when he says, but drinking caught me up with me again, there is no word of feeling. How did he feel? He felt bad. He felt sorry. He felt in pain. I don't know. I just know what I felt then. But, you know, I wasn't allowed to feel those feelings because I didn't know what to do with them. The only solution for me, for them, for me to feel them is to run to the food because I didn't know. I didn't know another thing. And it's terrible when you cannot feel your own feelings because then you are running away from yourself. And yes, he wasn't connected to himself. He didn't know who is he. He was running away from himself. And this is me. I was there. And thank God, thank God, I am not there anymore. Before the program, I didn't know who am I. I just wanted to prove, to get proof from other people for my existence. I thought that maybe a good profession will make me happy. Maybe if I will look nicer, I will be accepted. Maybe if I will be, if I will live in a different place, it will be better. Everything from outside. But thank God, thank God, now that I am in the program, I don't have to run away from nothing. I just have to be connected to God. And it's okay. It's, you know, I get permission to feel any feeling. I don't have to run to the food anymore. I can go straight to my God and to say, well, today I don't feel so happy. Today I don't feel so excited. Just help me with this. And it's a wonderful feeling. It's a freedom that I can feel the way I feel. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Karen, go ahead. Hi, this is Vered from oh, Vered. Jerusalem. Oh. That's okay. Vered, recovered compulsive overeater from Jerusalem. So happy to be here. Um, I'm just thinking about this metaphor about Napoleon, who was so short, but has had such grandiose, you know, temptations and illusions. And just thinking about, you know, me as a compulsive overeater with all the illusions, thinking once that I'm thin, if I didn't eat for one day, maybe I already look beautiful like a Barbie or if a Barbie is beautiful never mind but you know a model or 
then uh, maybe eating something that is beyond my food plan when I wasn't abstinent, and then I'm probably huge, and there is no, no, no serenity, and there is no centeredness, and God is not in within my life. And what happened to Napoleon and what happened to me when I was in the food and in the disease is that these illusions, I, I went after them. And then, I, of course, they're not connected to reality. And then I fell into these huge traps, which, oh, my God, to just get out of this trap is, think about the trap. You need someone to help you to get out of the trap. You can't help yourself. You're all locked in this trap. And um, thank God, I think the difference today is, of course, no alcoholic food whatsoever for me varied and eating the quantities that I'm supposed to eat. And the most important thing is being connected to God. Now, I cannot be connected. My wish and my aim is to develop my spiritual contact with God as much as I can all along through my life. And for some times, I am a little far away from God. And then I do start having illusions. But what's the difference between now and then? If the alcoholic food is not getting into my body and I still have some illusions, after a short while, when my body is so clean, I can say, hey, Vera, the disease is calling you. Now you have a choice. Are you going to call God or are you going to, you know, trip into this trap of the disease? And then when I call God, all I need to do is to ask him, what does he want from me, Vera, today? I was brought to this world with a certain... Um, expectations from God specifically from me. I don't know what they are. I try every day to ask, what does God want me to do today? And when these great illusions of maybe I'm going to be that, or maybe I'm going to have that, and that's what's going to make me happy, it does happen here and there. But instantly, I can call God and I can ask, what would you like me to be this moment? And that saves me and keeps me in serenity. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Varen. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Marjorie, would you read that one for us? Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Marjorie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Oops, my page just closed. On page four, we went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. The way I read this paragraph, Bill is is descending into that place that fits the description on page 52 of The Bedevilments, where he was having trouble with personal relationships, couldn't control his emotional nature, we were a prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, had a feeling of uselessness, we were full of peer, fear, 
we were unhappy, couldn't be a real help to other people. I read those two paragraphs together because I it doesn't say what was going on inside of Bill. It doesn't give me the direct blow-by-blow details of the brawl with the taxi driver. But with my imagination, I place myself in his shoes, and I think, hmm, I must have been going through those things that it describes on page 52. I must have been what it describes later on um, in the... um, in the very end chapters of the text where it talks about the four horsemen on page 151, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. I imagine Bill was getting to those places, and I I wonder what that actual brawl was with the taxi driver. I can identify myself when I figure out or imagine what it was that he was feeling, because although my circumstances didn't look the same as his, I probably felt the same way as he. When I no longer had a place to live and somebody from the program let me stay on their couch for a few nights, and then I lost that privilege because of my behavior, I probably felt that same humiliation or a humiliation similar to Bill's. When I could not keep a job and I ended up turning to my parents for help, I was in my late 20s, I'd been self, um, self-supporting self and I had to turn to other people for help, that was humiliating. It wasn't a matter at this point of my being fat, oh yes, I was fat and I was compulsively overeating. But this was evidence of the ways in which that food behavior in myself, the drinking behavior in Bill, had side effects that showed up in other areas of life. That was reaching bottom, hitting bottom, or in my case, since it went on for so many years before I became continuously abstinent. It was living on the bottom. Thanks for listening to me. I pass. Thank you, Marjorie. <clears throat> Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Leia. Okay, Larry and... Angie. Larry, Leia, and was that Angie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, great. Go ahead, Larry. Uh, good morning. Thanks for your service, uh, Larry from Chicago. I'll try to keep it brief. I'd actually rather listen to Leah. I've learned a lot from Leah and everyone else on the line. Um, you know, what this speaks to me is is just, uh, boy, the unmanageability. This is, this is part of step one for me. Um, maybe at this stage, you know, Bill was, you know, I, I, when I read this, I get a chill. Uh, I mean, literally, I, I have it up, up on my computer and I feel a chill. Because while maybe um, before I came to the rooms, I wasn't brawling, you know, um, I have a history of, um, you know, losing jobs, uh, of um, humility, the, the humility of, 
of, of not having any real employment for five years. I had employment. I've always had employment, but I hopped from job to job. And I, I really had, it speaks to the unmanageability of my life, and, and that's what I read in here with Bill is, um, you know, mercifully no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. All that time, I did not draw a sober breath. I was into the food um, uh, like crazy. I would go to any lengths to get to my food. And, and what's beautiful about this program is, um, you know, that, you know, before we come in, we need to be beat up, merciful, you know, mercilessly uh, before we can really feel, you know, a sense that, that we're going to embrace a, a new life. And uh, for me, you know, I'll always say that um, what brought recovery for me in being recovered today is not the fellowship and it's not, you know, it's not even this text. These are all very useful. These are all critical, fundamental things. What brought me uh, uh, is, is, you know, uh, to, to where I am today, um, where food is neutral, is uh, turning my, my will and my life over the care of God. And, and that spiritual experience came from working these steps. And I wasn't ready for a long time to work these steps. Um, and until I did, it, this was just nice fiction to read. It's no longer fiction for me. This, uh, this is nonfiction. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Leia, go ahead, please. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for your service, Kathy. Personally, I'd rather hear Larry. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name's Leia, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I identify right into this paragraph. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. I mean, obviously, we're seeing the progression of Bill's disease. Um, it is deteriorating every facet of his life, um, and that was true for me as well. You know, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. I was eating and using greater amounts of binge foods. You know, um, I was no longer able to control consistently or predict when I would stop or if I could stop. Um, you know, like it says here, or hardly draw a sober breath. I re I relate to that. I relate to binging around the clock, you know, and it wears a body out. It wore my mind out. I mean, I was paying a horrific price just to get to zero. You know, over time, my buzz got smaller and smaller and smaller, and yet the price I paid got greater and greater and greater. You know, we talk about the results of the program of recovery, very positive results, but there are also results of the disease, and we're reading about it here. I mean, Bill couldn't work. His wife had to begin working in a department store. Uh, they were living with his in-laws. I mean, this is a man, uh, very brilliant and, um, you know, quite highly motivated and determined, and look what's happening, you know. Uh, I relate to that. You know, there are results of my disease. You know, no close friends, uh, family, you know, won't talk to us anymore. I couldn't sleep through the night. I would wake up, you know, with uh, panic attacks, feeling guilty, uh, full of resentment. Um, but I certainly didn't want to change anything. You know, uh, those are the results of the disease. 
you know, the funny thing about alcoholism, and it's true for compulsive overeating as well, um, is that alcohol works for people like me or compulsive overeating works for people like me for a while and then it stops working. And you know what people like me do after it stops working? We binge more. <laughs> you know, the alcoholic adds more alcohol. Bill began to drink more. Um, I began to binge more, to change, to try to change the way I felt and to make the world less threatening. That's called alcoholism. That, for me, was called compulsive overeating, a horrific price that I paid. Um, and the w results got worse and worse. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Angie, go ahead, please. Okay, hi. Um, I'm Angie from Jerusalem, from uh, Israel. Um, I'm trying to be a uh, recovering, uh, I'm a compulsive eater. Um, I don't have the, um, the, the AA book in front of me, but as far as I can remember, um, what, what it said about um, he had an argument with the taxi driver. So I feel that my, my um, I've been in a relapse for oh, many, many months, and I have, you know, good days, bad days, and then good weeks, bad weeks. And, and, and I, I just now started coming on the, on the meetings um, for Vision for You, but I can so relate to, like, my relationships with my family. I have a big family of eight, of eight children, and... When I'm into food, um, which has been lately a lot, I I don't really have a, a normal relationship with many of them, um, including like my husband or or the kids or anybody, because I'm I'm in a food fog, and um, it, it's continuing and continuing, and and I really need um, to connect with people that can that can give me. I'm like I've, I've been in and out of the rooms for many years. Um, if there's any way I can get, um, and I'm not really speaking about the paragraph so much, but I need to get numbers of people after the meeting if it's possible, and um, and then I'll just pass on that. Thank you. Thank you, Angie. Stay on the line for the second hour, and you will get fun. Hello. Who else would like to share? Hi, Judy. Good morning. Okay, I heard. This is Sharon. May I share? Judy, Sharon, and I think I heard Sissy. Is that right? Yes. Kim? Okay, Judy, Sharon, Sissy, and Kim. Go ahead, Judy. Thank you, Kathy. Good morning, Vision for You. Uh, this is Judy F., compulsive reader recovered from Massachusetts. Wow. I, um, I can identify in, and, and what this paragraph shows me about how dependent, um, you know, Bill was no, not dependent on himself anymore for his own his own life. I mean, he became dependent on others, and that was me. I, I ended up um, moving in with a boyfriend because I, um, I, I, my relationship with my parents were was not good because of my my compulsive overeating and my binging and my purging and my boyfriend would come home and I would have been binging all day and then I would say let's go out and um, and I wouldn't tell him and so every night I'd go out and then continue it and oh, so this happened for over a year and I had lost my job it was all the consequences what the food did to me and I was always looking for what the food could do for me and I and I couldn't deny it but I did because when I'm in the food I'm I'm 
I don't know reality. And also, I didn't care. It was just um, here, the progression is getting... I mean, I'm, I'm sure he wants to find find job. I did, but I couldn't. And I was just so enslaved to the food, and that's where it got me. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that I got to this place. As painful as it was, as helpless and hopeless, it, it got me to a point where I would be teachable and humble to try another way. And uh, in my over 22 years of recovery and abstinence, that's what it seems, that desperation has to be there for us to be open-minded enough to try to try the solution, to try this way of life, to try the step, to put down that feeling. And I'm, I'm just grateful for this. But I could definitely relate in, with Bill that progression of the disease, it just kills everything. It's, and today do I have a choice. Do I choose recovery or do I choose disease? And I can choose recovery today because I have a higher power that can lead me into recovery. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Sharon, you're next. Sharon, are you there? Hi, Kathy. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? Yes, I okay. can. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, this is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And uh, thank you for everyone who shared out on the line. Oh, my gosh. And thank you, Kathy, for your service. Um, this just reminds me so painfully of, of my life uh, back in about 1983. I had come into OA in 1981. I was just... Uh, just barely sober at that time from alcohol, but my life, my life was still so unmanageable, and that was the thing that I struggled with was my life was so out of control, and I could not see the total unmanageability, and when I read this paragraph, it just reminds me that at that point in my life, I was, I did go back and uh, had to live with my parents because I didn't have enough money to have both a deposit and the first month's rent, and I had been moved out of an abusive relationship and my 16-year-old youngest daughter was living with me and I was so humiliated that I had to go live with my parents. And I just uh, see so clearly that I would, you know, believe that, oh, now everything will work out. Now I've got this. Now I've got that. And then my life would just implode. It reminds me of like when those buildings, you know, when they're going to uh, dynamite a building and it just implodes from within and just just tumbles down and that was that was my life and yet I could not I could not see the unmanageability and how I was still trying to grasp onto this fantasy life that I wanted to have to be uh, to be affluent to have money to uh, uh, be thin to be all of these things that I equated with success. And so I am just so grateful to be here today, and I am so grateful today to uh, know to the core of my being that the I have a daily reprieve, but it is contingent on my spiritual condition on a daily basis, which requires me working these steps uh, so willing and committed to working these steps like I used to live my life in that fantasy world that just kept imploding down on me. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Sharon. This is Amy. 
I think Sippy. Hello? Sippy? Hi. Good morning. This is Amy. Good morning. Oh. Okay, Amy, uh, you'll be after Kim, who's after Sippy. Go ahead. Thank you. Hi, good morning, a vision for you. Thank you, everyone on the line, and thank you for your service. Um, this is Sippy, a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. So well, I could say so much here, but I'll keep it short. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was, and I could go on and on and on. Um, this disease, the noose was really getting tighter around my neck, and and from the outside, I don't know if people could tell. I mean, because, okay, visibly I had weight to lose and I, you know, and I went through every diet and diets really worked. But inside I was such a mess. And before I got to a vision for you, I was already abstinent. I was white knuckling it and and it didn't look like there was a mess in my head. And I didn't draw a sober breath in the sense of recovery because I didn't know what the steps really were. I was just using the program as another diet. And yes, I love the fellowship, but I wasn't getting recovered and and it was driving me crazy. My inside wasn't like my outside. I I was restless, irritable and discontented. I had so I already lost the weight. I had so much to be happy for and and from the outside things look great and that was driving me even more crazy because the unmanageability at that point that was like the worst part of this disease and my reactions to life and my inability to deal with life on life's terms that was really mentally driving me crazy. And until I got a Vision for You sponsor and listened to this line and worked the steps in a thorough, thorough way, I couldn't be recovered and I couldn't have that freedom. And um, and just thank you, God, and thank you all of you on the line and whoever's new or in the middle of, for me, it was like the spin cycle in the washing machine, just stay because the the promises all come through, and I pass. Thank you, Sippy. Kim, go ahead, please. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. We went to live with my wife's parents. No real employment for five years or hardly a sober breath. Now, this is the 1930s when men were men and men had to support their wives. And he had not only lived with not his parents, he had to go live with his wife's parents. I mean, the humiliation of his, his world getting smaller and smaller. And I remember that feeling. I remember being in my mid-20s, a college graduate, living in my parents' house in this 8 by 10 childhood bedroom that was painted bubblegum pink and had holly hobby furniture. And the only thing I had left was a TV, my food, and romance novels. My world was getting smaller and smaller. Why was that? You know, we're talking here about, about chasing geographic cures, but also, too, we, ch- we chase um, circumstantial cures. You know, when I get that right boyfriend, then I'll stop eating, I'll lose weight, and I'll be okay. You know, when I get thin, of course my boss is going to suddenly give me a raise and I'm going to be able to afford enough in order to go out and support myself. Because I had to make a decision in my mid-20s. Was it the food or was it an apartment? And the food won out every single time. So, 
unfortunately, you know, when I came into OA, one of the things that I was taught was that this is a threefold illness, you know, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So what I did in OA is I chased emotions. I kept thinking if I could make myself feel better, then I would be okay. You know, I would feel better by getting the right friend, maybe getting the right sponsor, maybe getting the right boyfriend. And I spent a lot of time wasted chasing my emotions in OA. And the fact was, I only had a twofold illness. I had hour to the body, obsession of the mind, physical and mental. I have this spiritual malady. When that is overcome, I will straighten out physically and mentally. So my focus was totally wrong. Well, we often hear in the rooms, you know, well, we have to take some self-care. You call someone with a problem, take a bubble bath is what I'm told. What the big book is telling me, the big book is telling me that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my trouble, that I am the architect of my own misery, that this is a self-imposed crisis. There is nothing gentle about the 12 steps. If I want to escape this life that I have created for myself, I am going to have to change. Because let me tell you, when I went through these steps after 17 years in OA, and I was on disability, I had broken my ankle in the worst pain I've ever been in, and went through these steps in a 60-day period, and came back to work after being on disability for 11 weeks, my life had changed. Now, my circumstances haven't changed. I still had the same job that I absolutely hated prior to going through the steps. I still didn't have a boyfriend like I didn't have before the steps. I was finishing up my grad school degree and was ready to throw in the towel, but suddenly I was excited to finish my last semester. My parents that were driving me crazy were suddenly these incredible people that took care of me while I was hurt and right back when they moved into my house with me. So it's not about outside circumstances. My outside circumstances in December of 2010 were no different than my circumstances in March 2011, except I had had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. So suddenly my experience of those circumstances was totally different. So I spent so much wasted time chasing this emotion and that emotion. If only I could feel better, if only I could feel comfortable, then I'll stop this binging. Emotions have nothing to do with my disease. And the last thing I just want to say is one of the things that I'm really looking at right now is this idea that I'm living in denial. And the big book doesn't talk about denial. The big book talks about that we're delusional. You know, when I said I was going to stop, this was it. I'm living in, you know, as Bill said, living in his wife's parents' house. He was going to do something about it. I wasn't lying. I wasn't in denial. I believed it with all my might. Took me up to a, a lie detector test, and I'm going to pass it. So a delusion, I looked it up in the dictionary, is a fixed false belief that is resistant to reason or confrontation with actual facts. I was delusional. Denial is you know the truth and you're choosing not to believe it. I was not in denial. I was in the delusion of the belief. And the only way to escape that was to work the steps. Work the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Amy, you're next. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater recovered from Maryland by the grace of God. Wow, we just dove off a cliff here with the progression of this disease. I mean, a couple of geographical cures talk about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again. You know, he was, 
Yesterday he was off to be in off to the country to be the next Walter Hagen. You know now he's you know Napoleon, and now we find out for the next five years he's not going to draw a sober breath. But the scariest part of this disease, as we watch this progression, the cunning, the baffling nature of this disease, is the fact that he has yet to even really want to stop drinking. This disease is as such that it warps our mind to such destructive eating and drinking that we don't know how to differentiate the true from the false. He's still looking for power, prestige, money, the next job you know, looking and blaming everyone else. He has a brawl with the taxi driver because who knows what, you know, he didn't like what he said. You know, he was in a blackout. He can't keep a job. It's everyone else's fault. He feels humiliated. If you if you were in the circumstances I were, I were in, you know, you would drink too. I know all that reasoning because I have thought that too. If you had my life, if you were going through what I was going through, then you would eat too. You know, poor me, poor me, victim. All of those behaviors and characteristics that are part of my compulsive overeating disease, having, you know, irregardless of the food. And yet, what's so scary is that he has five more years of not drawing a sober breath before. I mean, the next couple paragraphs, he's going to start to want to stop drinking and is not going to be able to stop. But we're not even yet at a point yet where he even wants to stop or even realizes, even though people are telling him. Like I was told that there's a problem here. He's not even willing to see that. And that's what's so scary about this disease. People have said before, I think I heard Leia say it, suicide on the layaway plan. This is a serious disease that destroys you in the process of killing you. And yet we don't even know it probably years. I was powerless over compulsive overeating and my disease and my behaviors and my reaction to life, my only reaction reaction to life was to eat, but I was powerless way before I even knew there was a problem. Bill didn't have, and the blessing that we have today and the vision for you in this wonderful book is back then, Bill didn't have someone there to tell him, look, this is a progressive disease. You know, you are beyond control. It is a twofold disease, a physical allergy, a mental obsession. There's no one there to say, like the big book says, if you think you might be a compulsive overeater, go out there and try some controlled eating. Try to drink, try to eat and stop abruptly. Try again. Go to a buffet. See if you can really walk out of there. Try eating your binge foods and stopping abruptly. It may be a, worth a good case of the jitters to get a full knowledge of your condition. Bill's nowhere near that right now. He has years of torture and torment when he even tries to stop drinking and cannot. And if we look at the paragraphs in their solution on page 20 and 21, you know, it differentiates the difference between moderate drinkers, hard drinkers, and the alcoholic. And it says moderate drinkers have little trouble giving it up for good reason or whatever. They can leave it alone. Then we have the certain type of of hard drinker that may have the habit badly enough and have some problems, but based on circumstances, falling in love, changing environment, warning of a doctor, you know, can stop or moderate. But here on page 21, but what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. That was me. I could not stop. 
I stopped a lot of times, but I could never stay top, stay stopped. I crossed that line, and there's no going back. Once you lose your legs, you never grow them again. And this is what's happening with Bill. We are watching the progression. And I just offer to the newcomer out there or someone who's new to the program who's not heard about this, listen and identify in. If you're eating, progressing the way Bill's story and his drinking is progressing, it may be, well, a good case of the jitters to try to look closely at what it is that is going on with your eating. We have an opportunity now to take a look at this and start to understand where we are and hopefully save off years and decades of torture because that's what this disease offers. The promises of this disease is this slow torture and this slow suicide. I beg of you to identify in. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Uh, it's now time for us to wrap up the meeting. Um, I want to thank everyone who has shared. Uh, we're going to close now with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, let's see. Marita, would you please read a vision for you on page 164, beginning, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Vision for You. Good morning, Kathy. This is Marita, Compulsive Overeater in Virginia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.